I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Populent Podcast. Dyson's been busy. It's launched not one, but two new devices this week. The first is a hair straightener called the Dyson Corral that uses much lower heat to style, allowing the company to promise that it will cause half the damage of conventional hotter devices, while the other is an update to its robot vacuum cleaner range called the Dyson Heurist. Pocalent Associate Editor Dan Grabham has visited the company's HQ in Malmesbury to see the new products and have a chat with founder Sir James Dyson to discuss the new products on offer and what's in store for the future. Meanwhile, I've interviewed Peter Molman, founder and CEO of Trustpilot, about the importance of customer reviews online, how do they make sure that reviews are real, and some tips for you in spotting fake reviews over a real one. And away from Dyson and online trust, Mike Lowe, Pocalint's review editor, joins me to discuss the new Oppo Find X2 Pro. Mike's been using the new Android phone for the last week and is here to tell us the good, the bad and the ugly. But first, back to you, Dan. Tell us more about the Dyson announcements this week. Well, they've got two uh, two big new products this week. Um, the first is the Corral hair straighteners. Um, they've been talking about sort of hair care for several years now and they've been researching it for sort of like seven years to ten years something like that um, and this is the product of, of several years of work and basically it's designed to um, straighten in a way that doesn't use um, extreme heat um, basically heat heat damages hair so um, Dyson came at it from reducing the damage by 50 percent basically um, and it does this by having uh, the, the the plates that actually touch your hair are uh, they're not ceramic um there's formed of a magnesium copper alloy um which has got numerous slots um sort of uh, cut into it um and essentially they 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 flex around the hair so that it's it's a, the, the pressure is applied evenly um and it doesn't need doesn't need the the heat of previous uh, previous products basically and that's very different from a ghd straightener that's already available on the market yeah very much so obviously being a dyson um it has a price premium for the the plates um uh, when we when we whoever we spoke to was a pain to tell us that the plates are actually quite expensive to, to manufacture and obviously there's been massive research and development into them um and it's going to retail at 399 pounds 499 dollars so uh, quite a significant investment again um, but um, you know the air wrap previously, the styler and the supersonic hairdryer were both very expensive as well, and both very well received. Yes, they were. I mean, I've, uh, the the supersonic, especially, you know, actually saved people quite a bit of time. And obviously, if you're saving a couple of minutes every day, um, that is worth it to some people. Um, Dyson have made a bit less of a, a play on the sort of speed aspect of this uh, this 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 straightener, um, but there will be some speed impact because basically the idea is you don't need to go over the same piece of hair as many times or again. Mm. Um, so there, there, there is some benefit there. That's not the only thing they've launched this week. 
uh, no, they've also got a new robot vacuum cleaner. Now, they previously had a robot vacuum cleaner, the 360i, um, and this is the next version of that. But this is a slightly confusing product in that it's been out in various countries previously. And in fact, the first um, it first came out in 2018. So it's the Dyson 360 Hurist robot vacuum, catchy name. Um, and it's proved to be now in places like Canada and Germany. Um, it's quite confusing what hasn't hasn't made it to the UK um, previously. But um, the, the robot vacuum cleaner market, as we know, is, is a developing market. Um, and, you know, we're seeing innovation in that, that space all the time. So perhaps um, it's the fact that the, the, the market is, is sort of only just coming to, to coming to the stage where um, it's, a, you know, people are, people are going out to buy them in, in, in the, you know, sort of more mass market approach. Um, and so, the, you know, the, it's, it's sort of more, um, more of a play for, play for the general market, really. And did Dyson tell us what this offers against the competition from, say, RoboRock or Samsung or Nito or Roomba or any other brands that are currently available? Yeah, it's got a lot of the same technologies as many of those those cleaners, to be honest. I mean, they, they're talking about 20% more suction um, than the, the predecessor robot. Um, but really, I think that this is about bringing Dyson's robot vacuum up to the, up to the same spec as, say, a, a Nito, where you can... Um, you you can make sure that it's going in the right areas and you can um, restrict it from going in certain places and that kind of thing. And this one works with the Dyson Link app, which is Dyson's app that, that controls all their, their devices. It, it, right. if, you've got a, if you've got a connected fan, it will it will deal with that. It will um, uh, connect to the light cycle light, that kind of thing. So it's sort of it, it's more of an, a more an advanced play from that point of view. And finally, you actually got to speak to Sir James Dyson himself this week. Did he have anything to add beyond the hair straighteners and the robot vacuum cleaner? Well, interestingly, he we asked him about um, uh, the uh, future battery technologies that he's been working on. We know that Dyson have been um, working on battery technology in terms of the electric car they were developing and now are not, um, and also in terms of future devices. Um, and... So James t t said that he he thought it was crucial um, to, to future product development that they develop their own batteries, basically, because um, and he said it's absolutely the future that they do that for them um, because they they're dependent on others for batteries at the moment. But they obviously don't want to be. Um, and he, he was sort of saying, uh, you know, who wants to be tied tied to to a, with a cord to a socket? You know, he, he, he really thinks that that's that's sort of the future. Um, interestingly, um, he also talked a bit about coronavirus and the impact there. Um, and they, they are expecting some knock-on effect um, with um, some product, some product, uh, the availability of some products, um, mostly because of components from China, but also um, the Corral is made, the, the, the hair straighteners are made in, the, in Malaysia and the Philippines. So, um, but I, I think it's more the component, the original components that are made in China. So, but it, it was interesting. Also, he mentioned about um, designing products without compromise. Um, and obviously, we okay. talked before about the, the Corral's price point. The robot vacuum cleaner is 799 as well. So it's, it's an you know, expensive device as well. Um, so they, they've always been about not designing to a price point, whereas obviously other, other manufacturers are designing to hit a certain price point. And I think that's, that's a very interesting um, sort of stance to have these days, especially... 
um, with increased competition in all areas. And uh, I'm interested to know whether that will continue um, on, a, on an ongoing basis, really. Still to come, Mike gives us his verdict on the Oppo Find X2 Pro Android phone. Very few cracks that kind of jump straight out, to be honest. And I think given that the brand isn't as established yet, when people begin to you know, get more familiar, I suspect it will continue to grow. A recent study from Trustpilot has revealed an alarming distrust amongst UK consumers when it comes to brands removing or censoring legitimate consumer reviews across the internet, with four in ten of us saying that they are very concerned about the freedom of speech. So how can we monitor trust online and what are companies like Trustpilot doing to help rather than hinder things? I caught up with Trustpilot's founder and CEO, Peter Molman, on a recent trip to the UK to discuss this and more. And I started by asking him how he came up with the idea of Trustpilot in the first place. Yeah, so I wanted to solve two problems. Um, it was in 2007. Um, E-commerce was just at the emergence. And on the one hand, I had people like my mom who, when shopping online, would sometimes get bad experiences. And the information online was scattered. It could be hard to find out anything about a company online. Um, and so I thought, why is there not an easier way for her to see what all the customers think? And why is there not one trusted site that right. will go through all the work? It's a lot of work to, to ensure that you can actually use the overall opinion to something useful. And the other problem I had was I, I actually was um, running a little retail company. So I was selling electronics. Um, but when people visited my website, uh, they thought um, I was probably just a kid in a basement selling electronics. And the unfortunate part there was that was true. <laughs> um, but I was also selling on uh, the eBay's of the world. And the, the beautiful thing there is that after every purchase, people are being invited to share their opinion. And so that's why um, on eBay, for example, the idea that there's a gentleman in Hong Kong who claims that if you send him some money, he'll send you his used cell phone, but it's as good as new. Normally, that would be crazy. But if 20,000 other people said, actually, he'll send that cell phone, and it is as good as new, it's, it's a lot less crazy. And so with Trustpilot, it was the combination of, hey, why can't we do that for every business in a way that's useful for mom and useful for small companies? And then it just took off. And so how important do you think customer reviews have become? Because, I mean, that was 13 years ago. Yeah, so when I spoke with people 13 years ago and I told businesses that it was important what their customers wrote about them online, uh, most people thought that was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard. Uh, but in today's world, it's actually virtually impossible to even buy a pizza without having to share your opinion about the pizza the pizza company, the pizza delivery person, and the app you're using to do the whole thing. And so I think that customer reviews has become almost like water and electricity. You just use it without thinking about it. Um, and in fact, we just did a big study and says that 90% of everybody's using online reviews. Now, I don't know who those last 10% are. I haven't met them. Right. And so do you think... Do you think we'll get to a point where, as you say, everything is reviewed? So do you think we'll get to a point where we start reviewing ourselves as well? Mm, to some extent, I, I, I see that there are 
different things. I find that um, the reason that we're using reviews so much is because we want information about something. We want to know what other people think before we buy. And there are millions of products and millions of companies, and it's just impossible to have had an experience. So, so we rely on others. Um, I, I don't see a world, it's a little black mirror-ish, where sure. everybody is uh, reviewing their dates or their wives or their, their, their children. Uh, hopefully that won't become a thing. Okay, and so do you... How, there seems to be a lot of concern recently about reviews in the sense of, are they real? And how do you go about spotting a, a fake review to a, a real review? Or whether, you know, if you buy a product, you then get a £10 rebate off it if you then give them a positive review. How, how do you go about managing all of that? Yes, yeah, so I think the most important thing is... Is to, is to start by saying that this is one of the most important reasons why we exist, is because someone has to say, we care more about that than, than, than anybody else. And so the way we ensure the integrity of the system is partially based on data and algorithms, just like a bank is preventing credit card fraud. Um, so let's say that uh, after or a conversation, you go down to Tesco's and you buy something, and then 30 minutes later your credit card is being used in China. The bank will block the credit card because you could not have gone to China in 30 minutes. And similarly, if a company is uh, usually having all its customers in Birmingham or in London and suddenly it's getting a lot of feedback from the other side of the planet or from a lot of people who are masking their true identity, that'll trigger the computer and it'll say something is weird. So, so that's the one element of it. The other element of ensuring the integrity of the online systems is how they're designed. And this is something that I think people haven't really appreciated, how, how important this is. Um, I think just like um, everybody is now focusing on how is your data being used um, and, and looking into it, is it being abused, is it used to, to, to give you a better experience, I think everybody should ask themselves the question, how is my opinion being used? Um, because we find the, the, um, the emergence of something we can call uh, fake news 2.0 okay. so, so, or fake reviews 2.0. So, so, so the first generation was, was fake opinions made by fake people. Right. So that's the classic uh, fake review. It's somebody who's the kind pretending of me- they're a customer. The mechanical Turk. It's, 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 it's like the political equivalent is, is Twitter bots, armies of Twitter bots commenting on, on a certain topic. And, and, and rightfully so, there has been some or a lot of awareness uh, in the public about this problem. And, and we're investing massively into... Um, actually combating this. So this is really bots against bots, data against uh, data. Now, the, the, the fake news 2.0 or fake reviews 2.0 is where you have real people submitting real opinions, um, but leading to an overall false overall picture or, or, or leading okay. to a skewed overall picture. And so, that, so some examples of that could be that a company is only inviting certain customers to tell them what they think about them. So, so they try to predict, like, are you going to be happy or unhappy? And if you're unhappy, you're not going to be asked about your opinion. And if you're happy, you will be asked about your opinion. Or it's only possible for you to leave your opinion at P1 
peak happiness. Right. So you can you can share your opinion when when your package just arrived and and when you've just got your brand new pajamas, but then when you've washed it three times and all the buttons uh, are are off, uh, sure. it's impossible for you to share your opinion then. I suppose it's are you happy, really happy, or really really happy? Yeah. And no, never giving the option. Yeah. To or or, or they'll give you a, a survey happy. saying like, are you really very happy? And if you're ten out of ten, they say, oh please leave a review. And right. if you're one out of ten, they're like, please call a customer service. So. So some and 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 we we just did a big uh, research paper where we think that, or we wanted to know like is there awareness amongst consumers here and and something we're seeing is that the awareness amongst consumers about this problem is now on the rise but not not to a sufficient degree I find, and so. What what matters here is 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 asking yourself. Is the platform where you're sharing your opinion um, using it for good? Okay. So, for example, is it possible that you're sharing your opinion and can the business then decide if they want to show that or not? That's not a good sign. Is, is the opinion going to be public even if it's negative? Can your opinion just be removed? And so that was a very long-winded way of talking about the second leg of ensuring the trust in the reviews, which is to say that the rules of the reviews platforms matter enormously, and the transparency of how companies are using them uh, to the general public and the transparency to you as a reviewer about how is the company interacting with that platform and why does that matter is also enormously important. And so have you found over the years that this open transparency, this approach of, of, of companies saying, right, we're going to open ourselves up to the good and the bad. Have you found it where they've, they've gotten bad reviews and then by using that data being able to transform and turn it around or is it just negative reviews are negative? No, we're, we're actually seeing a little bit of a revolution in the mindset of companies. So, so companies used to have this mindset that they would, the, the mindset 1.0 was that they would just catapult positive news to the villagers, like, like in, in, in the people and say, yay, we're awesome. And, and, and uh, that would be like a, a big advertisement campaign. And then the, the 2.0 was the companies woke up to the fact that, hey, actually, we can no longer say that we're awesome. We need our customers to say that we're awesome. So, so they would try to get 10,000 perfect reviews from hand-picked right. customers and, 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 uh, and try to just not get anyone to say anything negative about them. Okay. Um, and then, thankfully, uh, the companies uh, are now, most companies are now realizing that that's actually damaging their trust much more than, it, than it's building their trust for a couple of reasons. So first of all, um, we, I find that um, companies are more scared than they should be of negative reviews. Um, we've done some very interesting tests where consumers actually trust the reviews more if there are some negatives. And, all, and, and that the, the, uh, the absence of negative reviews is a huge red flag for people because everybody knows that everybody makes mistakes. And everybody knows that, that, that nothing is perfect or very sure. few things are perfect. Um, and so, so let's say you're buying a new digital camera uh, and it's really cheap. You know that it probably doesn't have the best battery life or maybe the lens isn't the best, but you don't want to know which one is it. 
right. because you care about the one or the other. And, and, and similarly for companies, you want, you want to know, okay, what mistakes do they make? And when they make a mistake, how do they react? And so internally at Trustpilot, we say that a, that a good response to a negative review is 10 times as good as one good review. Um, but, 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 but then the final evolution here is just not the, 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 that companies realize we also need, we need to show some negative reviews, but also that this thing I started about with transparency, that companies realize that in the future, it's going to matter as much how you get your reviews that's going to matter as much as what the reviews actually say about you. Because, because when consumers, and consumers eventually will find out, so when consumers find out that you have been manipulating with them, that, that's an enormous um, sure. trust uh, contract breach. That's a little akin to, to, to election fraud. That even if it wasn't your opinion that was being suppressed in an election, the fact that some voters had their votes removed makes you lose your trust in the entire thing. And so, so we find today that, that, just to sum it up, we find today that companies are increasingly saying, we'll invite everybody, we have nothing to hide, we use the reviews to improve our business, we use the reviews to get into a, a closer dialogue with our customers. Um, we're using it to show that we care about the customers. And by doing all that in a transparent way, and then by doing it in the public, it says so much more about us than this uh, survey coming out. Like I, I was once on a plane in, in, in America and they put me right next to the toilet and the plane was overheated. And then I, I walk off the plane and I get this like, dear valued customer, your opinion is important to right. us. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how do you, I mean, you must obviously have seen over the time that you've run the, founded and run the business, you must have seen plenty of customer reviews, some of which are real, some of which are fake. If there was one tip for the listeners of how to sort of spot a genuine review, what, how, what's your kind of, have you got a tip that you could, yeah. you could give the readers? I, I, I would actually say the tip is don't try to spot the genuine review because you can't. Um, it's not about the individual review. It's rather about can you spot how are, how are all the reviews collected uh, are, is, are they collected on a platform that you know of? Are you aware, has the platform published its principles for how it's collecting reviews? Have the company said, this is how we're collecting reviews? Because one single review can be almost impossible to say if that's a right or wrong review. Is it a fake review? Is it just a person's opinion and were they wrong? So you always need to look at the overall picture and how was that overall picture created? So I w my best advice would be to say, does that level of transparency exist? If it doesn't exist, there are probably reasons for that. And all of that in mind, what's, what's next for Trustpilot? So, so for Trustpilot, we're really doubling down on that transparency. We're, we're doubling down on the principles. So, so for us, um, we want to be the most transparent reviews website in the sense that we want to make sure that if you visit a company on Trustpilot, we need to give you that level of explanation. What is going on here? Is this a business that has never heard about Trustpilot and so therefore they have not responded to re reviews? Or is it a company that um, is inviting everybody in, in the right way so we have a much more meaningful picture about it? It's about giving that 
um, level of explanation, a little bit like if you look up the Iraq war on Wikipedia, Wikipedia will say, hey, this topic is really controversial. Right. And so it's about that meta level of about the information, but, but trying to find a way to explain that to people in a way where it's not just like, you know, when, for example, I find the, 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 the cookie legislation is hopeless because you read like a 30-page disclaimer and this is how they're using my data, but, but that didn't make me any smarter, so I just accept the cookies. So, so, so what I'm asking myself is how is it possible to explain this to people in three seconds in a way that makes sense? That's what we're aiming at. When the Oppo Find X first got into our hands back in 2019, we were enthralled by its mechanized pop-up camera mechanism. Sure, it was flawed in terms of future longevity due to the number of moving parts that could break, but hey, this was an exciting thing to see in a phone, something that was becoming ever rarer in a world of same old, same old mobile devices. As predicted, the new version just launched ditches the pop-up camera though, but is it for the better? And what other changes have happened? Well, Mike joins me now to tell me more. Mike, you've been playing with this for the last couple of days, if not a bit longer. Is it any good? It definitely is, yeah. Um, the thing is, obviously, as you've said, the, uh, the really exciting thing about the original was it had this kind of massive pop-up camera mechanism that popped out, and this doesn't have that at all, which is perfectly fine because it doesn't really need it. It's got a little little dink in the uh, the front of the screen so you've got a little camera there and that really solves the problem without doing the uh, kind of grander mechanized form of it um i think the way that kind of phones are going people don't necessarily need the kind of extravagance of these kind of things pop-up cameras and such like um and really we're kind of settling more and more on a norm of either a, a notch or a punch hole seems to be the kind of current standard, and that's what this has gone with. And so is the camera, obviously we started talking about the camera straight away there, is this, is it a good camera? Is it is it performing better because of the changes they've made? Or is, tell us more. Um, I'm, I'm talking about the front camera very particularly here. Um, I mean, actually as, as a device overall, the, the bigger focus probably is on the cameras on the back. Um, if you've been following different phones that have been coming out, there's been like huge increase in, in the interest in, in what's going on in that kind of area. Many, many devices now don't have a camera. They have two or three or four or five or however many. Mm. Um, so this guy has uh, three on the back, including a 10 times periscope zoom. Um, so you get, you've got your normal camera. You can then zoom in to two times, five times, 10 times. Um, or there's an ultra wide as well. So you get this real kind of versatility, which um, although isn't completely brand new, we've seen it in a bunch of places before. I think it really shows that Oppo is kind of, it's jumping into certain gaps that are opening up. You think about, say, Huawei um, and how that's been kind of falling onto harder times. I think Oppo, which is also a Chinese maker, is now kind of seeking the opportunity to to jump in there and say, hey, we can do this too. We can do these things really rather well. And it is pretty impressive, you know that that variety has been been great to use over the last couple of days. And do you feel that compared to other Androids that are coming out, I know the the market is a bit of flux at the moment with the P forty just about to be announced, but not sure whether that's going to support Google from Huawei's point of view. Obviously, we're just about to see the S twenty range hit the shops as well. How does the Oppo Find X two 
pro fit in amongst that lineup? Um, there's always these kind of small points of differentiation, really. Android is it's a fairly standardized system, but typically manufacturers from different parts of the world will kind of put their own twists, their own skins on it. Chinese manufacturers don't use Google in native China. They don't need to. So often there are like different stores and stuff that, that might exist in the background. But given that this is the European version, that's actually not something you need to worry about at all. It comes with Google Play services. It's got all the, the normal stuff that you need. It does it very quickly, very smoothly. Um, and there might be little differences in the way that the software kind of accesses certain things, let's say. But really, it's kind of a, a different swipe this way or that way. It's not something that's, um, you know, if, you, if you're really into Android, you'll notice the difference compared to Google's own stock version. But actually, having used it, I've been quite surprised by how good this whole setup is. Um, they call it Color OS. Um, and I've been really quite surprised by how I kind of got used to it really quickly, which kind of shows it's not, it's not that different. Now, some of the people listening to this program might not have heard of Oppo before. Um, you know, and, nor, and perhaps more traditionally, have been using LG or Samsung or Huawei or, or even something from Sony Mobile, for example. How how does Oppo fare against those? It's it's, it's a fairly new brand for for people outside China. But do you, do you feel it's it's on the up, or is this is this, are they peaked, or how do you, um, how do you feel about that? So. They kind of tried to break new ground in different regions some years ago, um, but they didn't really, I guess, succeed at that point in time. Um, I think things have just changed. You know, there's there's greater openness in people exploring different brands if they're doing exciting stuff. Um, but actually, Oppo is, is huge. It's absolutely massive. So um, it's owned by BBK Electronics, um, which also happens to own OnePlus, um, which I think is a more familiar name probably to many people. Mm. Um, it also owns Vivo and Realme. So really it comes from this kind of giant umbrella of a lot of research and development. There's a lot of stuff going on. And I think they're kind of honing in on just getting that kind of projected to the right people in wider markets. And they're doing it pretty well. So because you don't know the name, I wouldn't worry too much. I mean, actually a lot of the technology in here kind of overlaps with what we're expecting to see from OnePlus um, just around the corner. So I've, I've not speak, spoken about the screen yet. Um, it's an, also an increasing trend to see these faster refresh rates on, on screens. So this one comes with a uh, 120 hertz panel, which ultimately means it's refreshing in double time. So it'll give you just that extra level of smoothness when you're kind of scrolling through things and certain games can tap into that, that extra frame rate as well. So it gives like the extra edge of just visual appeal, basically. And I suppose ultimately the question is, would you get one? Um, I'm really happy using it. Like I have to say, having having moved out of uh, a Huawei the other day, having a brand new phone is always nice because there's no scratches on the screen. You know, it's just and you get to explore kind of a new feature. Oh, the first world problems of Mike Lowe sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm using phones all the time, now <laughs> different things. But um, I think it's because I've I've not been massively familiar with this brand and just learning it's been been quite exciting. Um, so I would certainly put it in the in the pot of contention you know it's there's nothing wrong with it it's all the cameras are pretty decent i've not done full tests on everything yet kind of working towards it but i've been quite impressed with the battery life um so very few cracks that kind of jump straight out to be honest and i think given that the brand isn't as established yet when people begin to you know get more familiar 
I suspect it will continue to grow. Well, that's it for this week's show. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you get a moment, can you please give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform you're listening on? It really will help raise our profile and let others know you like us too. Until next time, pip pip. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.